We're glad y'all are here this morning. We are in the thick of a great summer going on, lots of stuff. Our kids, yesterday, Barry took about uh, 13, 12, 13 of our high schoolers to contact. And want to encourage y'all to be praying about that mission trip for our high schoolers. Uh, be praying specifically for my son. He was the only male uh, student on that trip. Maybe be praying for the girls to have to deal with him the whole time. But uh, they're going to have a great week as they serve, as they're worshiping with Contact this morning as they go through Contact's VBS uh, the rest of the week. So be praying for those kids. And as we get started this morning, why don't you all go ahead and turn to your neighbor and just tell them, hey, I'm grateful you're here this morning. If you guys would do that, let's remind each other of our gratitude. So as y'all get settled in, um, lots of stuff happening. We need all hands on deck. Of course, Go Weekend's just around the corner. And uh, looking forward to that as we partner with our friends and brothers and sisters at the First Christian Church. We're going to have a great weekend with them. And as we prep over the next couple Wednesday nights, uh, lots of things going there. If you still haven't signed up, as, as Cody just said, we need you. We're, we're about, really, we plan for about 250 and, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody. We plan for about 250 every year to be a part of Go Weekend. We're about 100 short of that right now. And so uh, if you're on vacation, if you made plans, that's great. If you just haven't signed up, we need you. So please sign up today. And, and really, today is the last day to sign up. If you, it, it, this isn't a thing that you can just show up for. We've got to have you assigned and, and ready for. So, so don't, don't just show up on that Saturday going, I'm here to serve. <laughs> that, that's great, but uh, it kind of messes us up because so, we need to know where people are going to get, in order to get everything done with all, the, with all the projects we have. Well, the guy was standing out fishing, and there was a guy up above him on the bank above watching him fish, and the guy on the bank above yelled down, and he said, doing any good? And the man down by the water's edge said to him, any good? (laughs) Caught 40 bass here yesterday. That's when the man above on the bank said, do you know who I am? The man who was fishing did not. So the guy told him, I'm the county game warden. (laughs) Fisherman kind of Stopped his gaze, looking up at the bank, and kind of put his head down and thought for a minute. He was like, "Uh uh-oh. So he yelled back up, well, do you know who I am? Game warden said, no, I do not. And the fisherman said, well, I'm the biggest liar in West Texas. (laughs) So it seems that everybody has a great fishing story, right? So last week on Facebook, I asked for pictures. I wanted to see some people's favorite fishing pictures, because everybody has one. Whether you're a fisherman or not, it seems that every family has some. And we got some great ones with, with kids catching fish, with wonderful little ones there. There's some, some cute little pictures there. There's Coleman's first fish. There's Barry and Trail on their first fishing trip. There's the, the whole Lefever crew right there catching fish. That's beautiful, beautiful things there. We've got David Calabrese's grandfather with his, his fish there. Uh, got the jumper girls uh, doing good there. You got, oh, you got little <laughs> the hunters there, and you got Bryson and Emery. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure that uh, Noah probably caught more fish than her dad that day, you know, all that stuff. Then you got the big catches that we got. We got some great pictures. Ronnie Hill, who's a master angler, he's coming in with some good stuff. Uh, the guide caught that one for Dusty and let him hold it, that's what I heard. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then you got some others. This came from our, uh, of course, Randy had some, and then uh, we got some, the, the tarpon or whatever those are that uh, Kevin goes out and fishes every year. That thing looks huge. I think there's a little perspective going on there. And then my favorite of all time. So, Brad, is that you? Okay, that's Brad laying down on the front of a boat. I didn't know if that was you or Rick, and then I love Kinsley and Hadley's picture right here. And I, lo- I love Kinsley's face, but as a dad, I appreciate Hadley's even more because he's like, give me a break. Uh, did he? Is that what? He woke up right there when he finally caught one? That's right. Well, it's a good place right there, just hanging out. But anybody, everybody, it seems to have a great fish story. But wouldn't you love to be Michael Packard? Uh, You guys probably remember this story. Michael Packard, last summer, he's a lobster fisherman. He's got this great fishing story. What he does is he picks up lobsters by diving and just picking them up off the sandy banks off of the coast, uh, off the east coast. And as he kept doing that, one day he was down on the bottom when he felt this large presence from behind hit him in the back. And before he knew it, all of a sudden, everything in his world went black. He wasn't unconscious. As far as he knew, he wasn't dead. But where he was, was he had been swallowed completely whole by a humpback whale. Sucked in. And for the next 40 seconds, Michael Packard had the largest existential crisis of his entire life. But wouldn't you know it, just like our man Jonah... After 40 seconds, he got spit back out, not onto dry land, but spit back out into the water. He sustained some injuries, but most of all, he got to come back with this incredible story. Wouldn't you love to be Michael Packard? Your buddies are telling fishing story. Well, I caught a fish this big. Well, I got caught by a fish, (laughs) right? (laughs) This big. Everybody has a great fishing story. Michael Packard may have the recent greatest fishing story of all time, except if we look at our man Jonah. Today we're finally going to get to what most people believe this story is about. It's even what's on our slide. As we've discussed, the story of Jonah is not necessarily about Jonah and the fish. It's about Jonah and his unwillingness to share the love of God. But as we get to chapter 2 this morning, we're going to look at the story of Jonah and the fish. But more accurately, maybe we ought to call this story Jonah and the truth and realization of a praise song from the belly of a fish. So before we pray, I want to just remind us where we're at. So far in our summer series, we've been pretty hard on Jonah. And rightfully so. Jonah, if you read this, he's supposed to be the butt of the joke. He's supposed to be the antagonist in the story. He's a mess. But for today, we're going to lay off of Jonah. We'll start picking up on him again and picking on him a little bit next week. Because it's here in chapter 2 that from the belly of a great sea creature that Jonah is going to deliver us some great truth. And this truth he's going to deliver us is going to fit into larger themes of Scripture. But more than that, and this is where we're going to be led towards communion today, what Jonah's going to say inside the belly of a whale or a fish or a sea creature is we're going to see him say some truths about the hardest parts of our lives about the questions that all humanity asks, about the most difficult and deepest troubles that we go through. 
And I want to ask God to guide us. So let's all grab a hand and let's pray together. And we'll jump into Jonah. God, guide us today. May this lesson be not by our own power, our own will, but by yours. May the words that come out of my mouth be in accordance with your will. Because, Father, I want to be submitted to whatever you want your people to hear. And may we all receive power from you, Lord. The power of transformation, the power of an open heart, the power of willingness, the power of just giving ears to hear today. We love you, Lord. We lift up our teens today at Contact. May you use them mightily this week. And may you use this church to be a light always in this community. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I hope as we get to Jonah, you're beginning to see this. If you haven't been with us, here's what you need to know. In this two to two and a half page little book, we see an incredible connection of summary that retells the entire story of the Old Testament. Jonah somehow encapsulates not just the story of the Old Testament, but somehow encapsulates for the reader, then and now, the experience and journey of the people of faith. This is a story for all time and for all places. And as we get to chapter 2, chapter 1 ends like this. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And it was from inside the fish Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God. Now I want you to notice something strange here. Because we talk a lot about the fish. And you need to have this in mind. This is very important this morning. We talk a lot about what the fish was, what it looked like, what kind of fish could it have been, what's a fish that could have swallowed a man, and what kind of fish would be able to uh, allow a person to survive so long inside of it. But what's so interesting is that the Hebrew, while we maybe think about what kind of fish it was, the Hebrew does not say fish. The Hebrew says what swallowed him is a sea monster. The word is a tannin. And tannin is this word that goes back into ancient, beyond Hebrew culture, into Babylonian and Aramaic culture that comes from all kinds of different writings that describe the unknown. A tannin is a sea creature of the deep, something that comes from down below the depths of the earth, below the grave, into the fields of death, itself. So what you need to know here is that what swallows Jonah, what swallows Jonah is not something that we would think of as a humpback whale or some kind of giant shark or a megalodon. What swallows him is a sea creature, a monster of the deep. And in your Old Testament, this is actually a major theme. If you're a concordance person or a Google person who knows how to use Google correctly, be careful with that. But if you have a good concordance on Bible Gateway or something like that, look up sea creature and you will be amazed at how often sea creatures show up when the people of God have a brush with death. So the idea when we get started here is that Jonah is swallowed by an agent of the grave, an agent of of death. Sea creatures all over the Old Testament are displayed as great and scary 
They're Leviathans. They're things that the writers do not understand, but yet they're somehow tamed by Yahweh. You can see that in this scripture. Is the tannin's not only a sea monster, but look how it shows up here in Psalm 148. We sing this as a, as a, as a hymn here at church. Verses 7 8 it says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all the deeps, fire and hail and snow and frost, stormy winds fulfilling his command. So this is a fish, yes, what we would say, but really more than that, what we have here is we have a tannin, an agent of death that has taken Jonah under the water. So here's what's going on. You may be going, well, Jake, why is this important? Well, I want to use a metaphor here, and maybe this metaphor will help us to understand what's going on. So look at these t-shirts behind me, right? Here's how Jonah works. Jonah works more like what we would say is a tapestry or quilt. In all of Scripture, you might can think of, if you need a good metaphor for Scripture, it's a quilt. we got quilters in here, right, Cindy? we got quilters in here. we got people that know what it takes to patch things together, put pieces together. And Scripture works a lot like that. Scripture moves where all pieces are part of all the others just like these t-shirts. If you look at our t-shirts, these are t-shirts from the past eight years or more. And every t-shirt up here tells an individual story, right? When was I baptized? And I remember wearing that shirt when we got these on the night. It was too cold to have trunk or treat outside because it was snowing. And we wore these inside. Or when we were out at Go Weekend. Or this is from, we had to cancel from 2020. So everybody got a shirt, but nobody went on the trip to Arms of Hope. Right? Or, or maybe this one was from Summer Sports Camp. Lori's awesome uh, logo here that looks like Saved by the Bell, Zach Morris. And, uh, or this one back here that we did years ago from one of our first Trunk or Treats. All these tell a story. And they tell a story about who you were and what you did. This is Allison's shirt from Go Weekend over at the Cat's Paw. It's got black paint on it and something else. I don't know. It was a, it was a messy day. They all tell a story. But yet somehow they all, right, combined tell a bigger story. And that's what is happening here with Jonah too. Jonah's swallowed, not by this random sea creature, but there's a bigger story at work here out of this tiny little story. It all is about what happens when we get connected to agents of death. Jonah being thrown overboard and swallowed by the sea creature is a retelling of what happens to the people of God. If Jonah's just a little part of it, it's retelling the whole story of here's what happens when we face the consequences of our rebellion and the consequences of our sin. And when we put ourselves and choose to put ourselves in the grips of death. I want to show you a few passages that actually pick up on this theme. And you, you might be like, whoa, I've never heard that before. Because this theme of death or agents of power, principalities and powers, Paul will call them in the New Testament, show up as sea creatures all over the text. Places like Jeremiah 51, 34, King Nebuchadnezzar is akin to a sea creature. Listen to this. This sounds like the story of Jonah. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has devoured me 
He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a monster. He has filled his belly with my delicacies. He has spewed me out. Sound familiar? Psalm 124, 2 through 5, another passage that we sing. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when our enemies attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, when the flood would have swept over us in a way the torrent would have gone over us, then over us we would have gone the raging waters. And then Ezekiel 29.3, Pharaoh Ezekiel says to Pharaoh, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then he calls him the great tannin. The word there is tannin. The great sea monster or dragon sprawling in the midst of its channels saying, my Nile is my own. I made it for myself. So if you're following with me, here's what we've got. Jonah in chapter 1 causes this great storm to come up, and it says that the Yahweh threw the storm towards the boat. There's all this hurling, and then Jonah himself is hurled over the side. Then later on, he's going to be hurled literally out of the mouth of the whale. But when he's thrown overboard out of this ship, he's left for dead. He's come to the end of his plans, and then unbeknownst to the sailors that threw him over, they left him for dead. Somehow he is then swallowed by a great sea monster, this agent of death. If you're following with me and thinking about all of Scripture, you may say, well, that's a serpent, Genesis 3. Or maybe you may be thinking of Genesis 4. Sin crouches at the door and knocks and wants to eat you alive, devour you. So what Jonah is doing is replaying the entire scriptural story about what happens when we face the consequences of our rebellion and our sin and our apathy and our own self-reliance. But also amazingly, as we get into this psalm, you're going to hear that this passage is not just one of discovery about the consequences of death and darkness, but it's also about the depths of the willingness of the Lord to meet us in our own sin. So let's jump into this, and I want you guys to really focus this morning on this passage. So it's from this belly that Jonah writes a song. What else are you going to do in the dark? I guess he had a pen and paper on him. I don't know. Here's what he says. He says, In my distress I called to Yahweh. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. See the metaphor? The sea monster is the realm of the dead. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He's borrowing from Psalms, many different Psalms, Psalm 42 in particular. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. He's desperate. But then it's there in that desperation, Jonah actually finds some truth. And he says, yet again, I will look to you toward your holy temple. So Jonah here in this sea creature surrounded by all kinds of fish parts and squid beaks and all kinds of disgusting things. He's in the darkest of places. 
And it's here that a light comes on and he says, I call and I know you listen. But here's what I want you to focus on. Because it's in verse 3 that Jonah proclaims that Yahweh hurled him into the sea. But that's not exactly accurate if you've read the text, right? God didn't throw him into the sea. Who did? The sailors did. They cast lot. They're like, you're the guy. They try to row back to land. They're like, it's not working. we got to throw you overboard. They don't even come up with it. Jonah self-volunteers as tribute. I will go overboard. Just throw me overboard. Whether he's ready to die or not, we don't know. It sounds like part of his theme. He's just ready to die. He doesn't care. So it's not God that throws him overboard. So what's going on here? Well, here's what's going on, and I hope y'all get this. I was confused with that this week. Why does God? Why does Jonah put blame on God for being in the sea? Well, he's not really doing that. What's actually happening in the text is he's not blaming God, but he's actually saying this: I'm blaming myself because the consequences of my rebellion are going to be what I have faced when I choose to go away from God and not live under the will of God, my sin will make me end up in the depths, in the mire, in the difficulty, in pain. Far from you, Yahweh. Now think about that. In other words, what he's saying is, I am here by my own volition. So I want you to pause for a second. We're not just doing theology work. We're going to do a lot of practical stuff with this. I want you to think for just a second about your default posture. What do you default to? What position do you take? And specifically, what's your default attitude and response to suffering? What's your gut reaction when you're in trouble? What's that? moment of thought when the world is turning out the way that is opposite to what you thought it would. Man, as a confessional here, is it blame? Maybe blame on the Lord? Is it sorrow or feeling sorry for yourself? Or is it a feeling that God is somehow out to get you or abandon you? And I think we could all say yes, yes, and yes. Our default postures are often all these and more. When the world goes in a direction we don't want it to, we often think, well, God must have turned his back. God must have abandoned. God must be mad at me. But here's what's so interesting about the text, and here's where Jonah actually gives us some truth, is that, While we draw the conclusion in trouble and hardship that somehow God has moved, Jonah draws the opposite conclusion. He knows whose mess this is, and it's his. The mess Jonah's in, he chose. And most likely, the mess that any of us are in, we may have chose, right? Or somebody else may have chose it for you. And Jonah realizes this truth is that the mess he chose still did not push God away. That's what's so good here is that Jonah, in this moment, doesn't take the default position that we would, that God has somehow abandoned him. He sees that God is near, and he says, I was banished from your sight by my own actions, but now I look to you. I will gaze upon 
you, which brings us to this first point I want you all to know, is that God is most often, now I say most often because God can put things in our life where he is pushing us in a certain direction. God is most often not the author of our circumstances. He's not, but he is always the redeemer. Always. That's what he does. So whatever got Jonah in the belly of this monster, mixed up with the agent of death, I want you all to know this. God's not biting his fingernails. He isn't nervous about Jonah, and he isn't anxious or in trouble or thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I've really messed up with the world as it is today. God is still in the horrible mess, redeeming and still near. That's the message that Jonah is trying to get across as we get started here. Now, Jonah continues. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains, I, to the roots of the mountains, I sink down. So much we could talk about there about ancient worldview and all that, but we won't. The earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you, Yahweh my God, brought my life up from the pit, from Sheol, from the land of the dead. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I don't know if Jonah's starting to grow or figure it out, but he's starting to get on to some truth here that it's God who rescues, it's God who saves And he's starting to realize that as he's been on the run, as far away as he can from God, he's starting to realize that Jonah is not the author of his own life. And I want you to lean in here. And and I'll tell you, I speak, I struggle to speak with any confidence in this. But I think there's a truth here we've all got to lean into and know. I think Jonah struggled with this, just like we do. I think he was struggling with, God would never make me do something that I don't want to do. Y'all hear that in the text, if you've been in chapter 1? There's no way you would send me to those Ninevites. They're awful people. I don't even like them. They don't deserve you, Lord. He's a racist. He's a bigot. And what he's assuming is that God's greatest priority is to make us safe and peaceful and happy. And that's where I struggle with this text. Because I so often want to believe that God's greatest priority in Jake's life is to make me safe and peaceful and happy, and it's not. God's greatest priority in my life is transformation. That's his greatest priority for every one of us. God's not up in heaven going, well, I hope you have a safe and happy and wonderful day. What he's up in heaven doing, well, I don't even know why we say up in heaven. That's, that's a weird term. He's in heaven, which is all around us, making sure you look like Jesus today, working to redeem us. God's greatest priority is transformation. And so what we learn from this, what Jonah is saying here is he's come to the end of himself. He's starting to realize the story is not about him. It's not about going to get a, a, a retirement home in Tarshish. What he's starting to realize is the second thing I want you all to really lean into is that coming to the end of ourselves may be the greatest thing that ever happens to yourself. See, you're not the captain of the ship, neither was Jonah. But he wanted to be. I'll just get away. 
I'll just run. I'm the author of my life. I'll just do what I want. Well, what's crazy about Christianity, if you're a Christian, this isn't a make-it-up-as-you-go religion. This is a handed-down religion from Jesus Christ. And what Jesus says goes. He's the author of our faith. Right? Hebrews 12. He's the author of how we do and what we do and how we lead, how we live. So this deep, deep truth that Jonah is realizing is that in the belly of this sea creature, I need Yahweh, and Yahweh is all I need. And then finally, he wraps up this chapter in this song. It's a beautiful song with these words. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. There's a whole sermon right there. Uh, uh, this is just a side note, but, but maybe it's not much of a side note. Maybe you'll see how it connects. But it's weird that all of a sudden, just here in verse 8, he's like, let me talk about idolatry for a second. But he's got a great truth there that those who cling to worthless idol, he's in the middle, middle of fish, and he's been clinging to an idol. And what's that idol? Jonah. He didn't have an engraved image. He didn't have in his bags a, a bell or something like that. He had himself at the center of his life. And he's starting to realize that as I clung to myself, I'm turning away from God's love. But then here's what he says. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from Yahweh. Jonah has a brush with death. Swallowed not by a fish, he's swallowed by a creature of the deep. And you may say, well, that is so bizarre, I can't relate. Well, yeah, you can. More than we know, we know what it feels like to have a brush with darkness, divorce, loss, our own sin, facing sickness and pain and trouble, the consequences of our poor decisions, relentless seasons of bad news, fear of the unknown. What's the next few weeks going to look like? All those feel like death, don't they? Times of sorrow. And the point of the text is so beautiful is that Jonah is somehow in touch with our experiences. Because Jonah is showing us that even in the midst of the belly of a beast, God is still faithful. Even when we show up and our own consequences put us in the place of death, my own bad habits and my own hateful thoughts and my own bigotry and my own terrible decisions. Jonah goes, oh, no, no, no. Even God's in that place. It's like he's reciting Psalm 139 in a different way. If you're like, what's that mean? Go read it this afternoon, right? Or read it right now if you're not even paying attention. That's fine. Read it right now. And I want us to notice something, though, as we wrap up. In Mark 8, 12, and it's not going to be on the screen, but in Mark 8, 12, Jesus tells the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come to him and they're like, we're not so sure you're the Messiah. 
we need another sign, Jesus. Show us more miracles. Show us something. Show us what's going on in your life. We want to know for sure. They're kind of like Gideon putting out the fleece, right? If it's wet, I'll believe you. Well, I'm not sure. Let me turn it over. If it's dry, I'll believe you. They just keep asking for a sign, and Jesus tells them, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. That's a confusing passage because you're like, what does that mean? The sign of Jonah, does that mean you're going to get swallowed by a fish? Or does that mean something's going to happen to you? Does that mean you're going to have to go preach to the Ninevites? What does that mean? Let's work on that for just a second. This, This is where it connects. It's interesting that the early church, second, third, and fourth century church, 100 years after Jesus, 80 years after Jesus or so, one of the artworks that we find in catacombs and on tapestries from ancient church buildings or in mosaics on the floor over and over is not pictures of Jesus on the cross as much, but it's almost equaled for some reason by pictures of Jonah. I'll show you a few here. This one comes from the catacombs of Rome. It's dated all the way back to early 2nd century, around 110 to 120 A.D. As Christians were facing difficulty and persecution, having brushes with death, someone painted this. And you can see this sea creature up here on the right. He's got the big weird ears. He looks like a dragon or a, a dog dragon. Maybe he's a demodog. But uh, <laughs> Stranger Things fans. But uh, maybe something going on there. But look at this other one, almost the exact same sea creature. And this one comes from Egypt, from Coptic Christianity, 3rd century. And it's a tapestry. But it's Jonah getting swallowed up by an agent of death. And then this last one is in an Italian basilica from the 4th century. And it depicts Jonah being spit back out. I love that he's like in the dive position. Uh, Right back on the dry land. Now, why? What's the early church doing with all these pictures of Jonah? Well, it has to do with what the sign of Jonah actually is. Because Jesus says to the people, you don't believe in me yet. I'm not going to show you another miracle. I'm just going to show you the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah is this. Is that even in death, God can save. So as Jonah went through the belly of a sea creature into death and came out on the other side, hopefully a different guy. We'll discuss that next week. Jesus goes, I'm going to show you. I'm going to enter into death and trust that on a Sunday morning, God's going to bring life. And that is one of the deepest lessons we can all begin to understand. In fact, Paul would say, if we don't believe in that kind of power of the resurrection, our faith is all in vanity. And I would sum it up like this. Your circumstances that you're going through, those are not the indicator of God's feeling towards you. But the cross is, and the burial is, and the resurrection is. This is the power of God. In that when we struggle when we wrestle and we brush with agents of death and our lives feel like it will never turn around. Jonah gives us this beautiful truth. 
is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even death itself. And if you go back to that last line in verse 10, Jonah says, salvation comes from Yahweh. And this is just a free little freebie here. Salvation comes from Yahweh. Salvation in Hebrew is a word, but it's also a name. It is the name Yeshua or Joshua or what in Greek we would say Jesus. Salvation comes from Yahweh. So this morning we're going to commune. We're going to sing a song. And as we commune, and the guys passed communion this morning, I want us to be reminded that the indicator of God's feeling towards you is not your circumstance. But this table is. And it's a table that is open. It's a table that's available for all who are willing. It's a table for those who are broken, who say, I am unworthy, because we all are. And it's a table for those who say, I don't know what my next step is. And God meets us at this table and goes, let me guide you. Because I will go so far for you that I can even meet you in your worst circumstance. And so this morning as you commune, maybe you need to turn to a neighbor. Maybe you need to offer forgiveness to a fellow brother or sister in the church. It's funny, we talked about that in church. It's funny what we've been forgiven and what we're unwilling to forgive. Maybe you need to have a brush with the Lord in the midst of your brush with death and remember the goodness of God. Whatever it is this morning, we're here for you. If you want to just come forward and experience communion because you want prayers of the church, we'll be up here. If you want to grab an elder and pray with them and get communion out in the foyer or out in the hallway, that's fine. Our guys will find you. But let us not take this table lightly because this table is not just rote repetition of a tradition. As we go through Monday through Saturday and brush with death, we come to the table so we can brush with life. So we can say, Jesus went all the way into death for us, stayed three days in the belly of death, and came out victorious on the other side. And we proclaim that victory because that's what this is about. Let's stand together and sing.